Now I'm going to uh, invite our friends on Facebook here to come in. Hopefully we don't have any issues this morning. I want to welcome those who are joining us through the other media, uh, through video. Um, it's good to be with you. We're going to get started into our study here. Um, a study entitled Overcoming Sin, Step 2. And before we uh, go into God's Word and get into such an important study, anytime we study God's Word, we want to ask for the Lord to guide and direct us and help us to have understanding. So I invite you to bow your heads with me. Let's have a word of prayer together uh, before we, we break the bread this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and worship thee and to study from your holy word we ask humbly lord for the holy spirit to be poured out upon us give us discernment and wisdom help us to understand the truth and to have a love for it uh, we pray that you will guide and direct us and help us to share the truth that we learn with others we also humbly ask that you will forgive us as a people for for our sins we claim the blood that Jesus shed there on Calvary for us. And we pray that we may be a witness to those around us uh, before probation closes. And that many will come to know Jesus and fall in love with Him too. We pray for those who couldn't be with us today. We pray for those who are listening. Those who will be watching uh, this uh, study in the future. May their hearts be touched. Uh, we also lift up before you those who are sick and ill. Uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we pray that you will bless them and draw them closer to thee. We also lift up a special prayer for the medical missionaries and those who are stepping out in faith. We pray for blessings there as well. Give me the words to speak this morning. I humbly ask in the name of Jesus Christ who is so worthy. Amen. Amen and amen. Last time together, that we were together, friends, uh, we talked about the first step in overcoming sin, which is repentance. Um, that is, repentance is our first step as we receive it, but it's not God's first step. There is a step uh, on God's part before repentance can take place, and that is uh, convicting us of sin. Uh, and unless we understand that there is a right and wrong, um, conviction can't bring us to repentance. And so, you know, uh, let me give you an example. Um, there are millions of Christians today, and, and this is true, there are millions of Christians today, that's not an exaggeration, friends, that don't realize that violating the fourth commandment is sin. And since they feel no guilt for breaking the Sabbath, uh, how can they repent of something they're not you know, convicted on? Remember Paul, uh, he speaks about this. He says, where there is no law, there is no sin. But you see, God winks at that kind of ignorance. But when people know there is a law and what sin is, then conviction can bring repentance. And it's their part then to receive that gift. See, Acts 17.30 um, some people just gloss over the last part of this scripture. Uh, they hang on to the first part, see? 
as an excuse for them to sin. Because uh, Acts 17.30 says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. And they'll stop right there. Well, God winks at my sins. No. You know, if you have an opportunity to know the truth, you're held accountable for that, see? And most people in the world today have an opportunity to know what the truth is. But the last part of that scripture says, But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so, uh, comes a time when you're shown the truth, you have an opportunity to know the truth, you're shown it, and you're held accountable for your decision. And you have to make a decision. You know. Now, it is true... Uh, we do have to study the Bible to know what is right and wrong. Uh, we have to educate our conscience. And we talked about that in an earlier study, about the will and the conscience. And we have to educate our conscience properly. You know, I, I, the thought came to my mind when I was, uh, when I was young, and I, um, you know, I wasn't a Christian when I was young, uh, and, and, and I was very active in sports, and I had coaches. You know, and the old saying is, practice makes perfect. And then someone put a little bug in my ear and said, well, now wait a minute, you know, uh, there's good practice and there's bad practice. And so perfect practice is good practice, right? And so you have to have the right kind of practice, right? And so we do have to, to study the Bible to know what is right and wrong. We have to educate our conscience properly in order for conviction of sin to bring guilt. But it doesn't always come from studying the Bible directly. And, you know, but that is true more, uh, more so after we come to Christ and we accept Him as our Savior. You know, I'm talking about that sanctification process as we get deeper into the Word of God. But at first, you know, uh, with conviction and repentance, at first it's not necessarily the case that we know anything about the Bible. You know, thinking of my own experience... When I came to Christ, I had rarely ever held a Bible in my hand. I mean, let alone read one. I mean, I had a basic, um, um, limited understanding of right and wrong, like most people do. I was taught the golden rule. You know, my parents uh, stressed the golden rule. But I, I didn't know what that sin is the transgression of the Ten Commandment laws, it says in 1 John 3, 4. I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. So when I say repentance, friends, is the first step in overcoming sin, I'm including within that step the truth that God first takes the initiative towards us to bring us to repentance. And I hope that makes sense. Does that make sense? And, and let me share this with you too, friends. God always takes the initiative towards us. When man fell... Um, his nature was changed to one that was at enmity with God. Romans 8 verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In, enmity means hatred. Okay, So man had a natural hate for God after the fall, and the, he had a hate for the things of God. Hence, he was not moved to seek God, so God must seek him. And this God did right there in the garden immediately after man fell. We read in Genesis 3 and verse 9, and it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? So God was looking for man. He is taking the initiative, because man never would. 
And I want you never to forget that, friends. Never forget that God always takes the initiative towards us. And I praise Him for that. And we all should praise Him for that and thank Him for that because unless He did that, none of us would be saved. None. Because we're not naturally inclined to seek God. Romans 5 and verse 8, Paul says, But God commendeth His love toward us. See? In that while we were yet sinners, we yet had that enmity, hated God, hated the things of God, Christ died for us. And this is what it means to be justified by Christ. It is justification by faith. Remember the third angel's message is justification by faith in verity, as we read the last time we were together. And you can't be justified by faith without repentance. And neither can you be justified by faith without confessing your sins. The two steps come very close together. See. Now, what does it mean to confess? What does it mean? Well, 1 John 1, 9, when John says, confess our sins, the Greek word there means to admit the truth of an accusation. Essentially what you're doing, you are saying that the accusations against you are true. You agree with them. That's what it means to confess. But I want you to know that it, it implies more than just a mere admission. See? Because I'll tell you, I have people say some things to me that are just remarkable, at least I, I think. And, and I think back uh, when I had this struggle... I kind of said the same th such things. And it's because self doesn't want to die. See? It doesn't want to give up. But I've had people say, say things to me, and maybe you'll recognize some of these. Well, I know I do wrong. That's just the way I am, so get used to it. Have you ever had anybody have that kind of attitude? You know, when you bring up this topic? Or they might say, well, I didn't really intend to do such and such, you know, such and such, but, but, but that's just the way I am, and that's, I'll always be that way. Or this one, that's the way I, that I'm made, and I'll never change. So you just have to live with it. Well, friends, is, is that the confession that God is asking from us? Sorry that I sinned, God, but that's just the way I am. Oh, by the way, thanks for forgiving me. No, my friends. No. Confession is meant to be more specific than the mere admission of sinfulness. The recognition of the precise nature of a sin and an understanding of the factors that led to it, they're essential, beloved, to true confession. And also to building up strength to resist a similar temptation if and when it reoccurs. Let me share this with you. It's from a book entitled Steps to Christ. This is on page 38. True confession is always of a specific character and acknowledges particular sins. They may be of such a nature as to be brought before God only. They may be wrongs that should be confessed to individuals who have suffered injury through them. Or they may be of a public character and should then be as publicly confessed. But all confession should be definite and to the point 
acknowledging the very sins of which you are guilty. And and I'll tell you this just from experience and and, and not just in my experience, but in, in helping people uh, through this process of salvation and in overcoming sin, it actually helps us to hear ourselves speak with our mouths and confess our specific sins because it reinforces that we have a problem. It reinforces in our mind that we need help. And we're seeking forgiveness. We need help from someone. And we need help from the only one, actually, who can help, and that's Jesus Christ. And I will also uh, tell you this, that unwillingness to be specific, just may reveal an absence of true repentance and the lack of a real desire for all that forgiveness does imply. And so, you know, if you're not being specific, you may want to step back and think about it a while and say, well, why am I not being specific about this? Now, just as repentance is not natural to the fallen uh, sinful nature, and that's why we need divine help uh, to bring us to that point. Um, neither is confession of sin something that comes naturally to, to naturally to the fallen nature. I mean, friends, who thinks it's easy to sell to tell someone that you've done them wrong? All right? Who in their carnal mind? wants to admit that they're guilty of committing a sinful act to the person that they've done wickedness to. Most of us are pretty good uh, at trying to cover up our sins. Boy, we can get that down pat, can't we? But to admit them? No. (laughs) That's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? Nevertheless, Confession is something that is necessary for us to do in order to avoid receiving the mark of the beast. Isn't that right? Yes, that is right. 1 John 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, let me tell you this, friends. According to this scripture, it's absolutely impossible to be justified by faith and have unconfessed sins. Think about that. Really think about it. You can't be cleansed from all unrighteousness and have the faith of Jesus and and, and the patience of the saints, you know, as it says in Revelation 14, 12, that the last generation, this time we're living in, that's who the saints are described as, you can't have that without confession. And when I say confession, I'm not speaking about the Catholic perversion of what confession is, you know, a a merit-based confession where you earn forgiveness by doing something to appease God. That is the antithesis of justification by faith, friends. I'm speaking about what the Bible definition of confession is. And so, once true uh, repentance, uh, once true repentance comes, which is sorrow for sin and a given desire to turn away from it, confessing our sins is something that must follow. And friends, it has to. 
It has to. We must admit we've done wrong uh, from a contrite heart that actually realizes it's done wrong. And so I want to talk a bit about step two in overcoming sin. I want to talk about confession. If we look at Proverbs 28 and verse 13, it says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now let me ask you, isn't that reasonable? You know, God says, come let us reason together. And we're talking about the sin issue, and he's bringing us uh, these steps on how to overcome sin. And he says, okay, I'll give, I'll give these things to you. I'll give you and gift to you repentance. But if you confess and forsake these sins, you shall have mercy. Now, I would say that's pretty reasonable, wouldn't you? You see, God doesn't require us uh, to do penance. He doesn't require us to whip our backs till they bleed. Or crawl up the steps of the chapel in Rome, you know, like Martin Luther did. Uh, He doesn't require us to do any of those things as some kind of punishment or some kind of reward or anything like that in order to receive his forgiveness. Millions, friends, again, I'm going back to these millions of Christians around the world. Millions of honest souls are like Martin Luther before he met Jesus. They search and they search for salvation and jump through hoops to try to attain it themselves. It was in a last-ditch effort, if any of you know the history, Reformation, do any reading, um, in a last-ditch effort to find salvation while he was in Rome, that Luther, Luther, let me get my tongue straightened out here, Luther decided to climb the, the steps of the Scalia Sancta, at the chapel of St. Lawrence. He was going to climb those steps on his hands and knees. You see, the belief is, they still promote that today, by the way, the belief is that these 28 stairs had come from Pontius Pilate's judgment hall, and so Jesus had walked on these steps. See, So Luther, here he is, he's trying to get the guilt removed from him for his sins and have salvation. And have peace, the peace of God. So he crawls up each stair. And as he goes to each step, he repeats the Lord's Prayer. And he kisses each stair. And just, he's hoping for salvation. He's hoping that the guilt is removed. And it was on these steps one day, while he was doing these things, that justification by faith hit him like thunder. Let me read this to you. It's from the book, The Great Controversy, the 1888 edition, page 125. Let me get a a drink here. Great Controversy, 1888 edition, page 125. It says, Luther was one day devoutly climbing these steps when suddenly a voice like thunder seemed to say to him, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1, verse 17. He sprung upon his feet and hastened from the place in shame and horror. That text never lost its power upon his soul. 
From that time, he saw more clearly than ever before the fallacy of trusting to human works for salvation and the necessity of constant faith in the merits of Christ. Friends, the Bible simply says, if we confess and forsake our sins, we will receive mercy. And mercy means to treat an offender better than he deserves. We don't deserve mercy. We don't. None of us do. But God is a merciful judge. And I want you to notice that confession's not enough either. The scripture there says, Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The word forsaketh means to completely abandon sin with no intention of ever repeating it. Well, Pastor Joel, is that possible? If you talk to most professed Christians today, they'll tell you no. It's not possible to, to go and sin no more, as Jesus told the woman caught in adultery to do. But that, you know, we're saved in our sins because, you see, that's just the way I am. And you'll have to get used to it, right? And where do you suppose these millions of Christians get such an idea? That's what they're being taught by their spiritual leaders and and I'll tell you, friends, that uh, those leaders will one day have a fearful price to pay for their negligence to rightly divide uh, the word of truth. Excuse me? Yes. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 doesn't say we will still have to pay uh, for our sinful actions, you know, like the civil courts uh, would make us do. Because Jesus already paid the price, see? And when it's paid, there is no balance due. Nothing is due. At least in a spiritual sense. Now, if, let's say, let's say you kill someone, you may still have to spend some time uh, in the jailhouse, or maybe even on death row, you know. But God will forgive and cleanse you of that sin, um, or any other sin, and make it as though you've... You never did it. And it happens the moment we confess that we sinned and we ask forgiveness. God uh, keeps His promises, friends. And that's justification by faith. That is what Luther realized on those steps that day. And let me tell you, he, he never looked back to Rome again. He never looked back to that system at all. In fact, he, uh, they wanted to uh, uh, murder Martin Luther because of his opposition to to that the religion of Rome. And not only are we to confess our sins to God, okay, who alone can forgive them, uh, but James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In other words, James is saying if we have wronged someone, we are to acknowledge it to that specific person and ask forgiveness. But that person can't wipe out your record of sin in the books of heaven, friends. Only God can do that. Some people, I've seen this. Uh, in fact, there are many religions today that are based on one scripture or they have certain doctrines that are based on just one scripture. And that would be okay 
if they interpreted that one scripture correctly, you know. Um, but uh, some people use this scripture here in James to teach that the Bible allows us to confess our sins to a priest. You know, like a Catholic uh, priest by uh, way of a confessional. But the only time, and, and be clear about this, friends, the only time you would ever confess a sin to a priest is if you have sinned against that priest. And you never need to use a confessional, ever. The Catholic Church calls it uh, auricular confession. That's what they call it. Auricular confession uh, is the revealing of sins by word of mouth on the part of the one who has sinned into the orus or ear of a priest. And that's what the confessional box in every Catholic church is for. But friends, the Bible doesn't teach any such thing. Doesn't teach it in the Old Testament, doesn't teach it in the New Testament, you can't find it anywhere. This is purely a man-made teaching that should never be practiced because it does a lot of harm uh, to the one that hears and the one that confides in a man that claims to be able to forgive their sins. And that's God's prerogative alone, isn't it? And so we should never confess our sins to any person we have not sinned against, ever. Wrong deeds um, secretly done are to be confessed to God alone. Sins that involve others are to be confessed also to those who have suffered injury as you're seeking forgiveness and to be reconciled uh, uh, with them. And uh, notice Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Jesus lays this out, actually. He says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. If we have wronged someone, we are to go to that person and make things right. And, and then God will accept our worship. But to go to another sinful human being that knows nothing of your sin and open up the secret recesses of your soul and follow the instructions of a man that may be more sinful than yourself, friends, that's not going to help you one bit. In fact, it will uh, possibly, unless there's a change like we saw in Martin Luther, uh, it will do you eternal harm if you continue to do that. There are millions of people that do this every day around the world, but they're none the better for it because they're going to the wrong source to find the kind of forgiveness that they need. I mean, they may feel better afterwards because they think they've done what God requires, but their sins are still registered in the book of heaven. It can only be atoned by the, the shed blood of Christ. The other problem with auricular confession is that it teaches the sinner that if they just keep their sins confessed, well, you know, they're in good shape with heaven. So there's no need to actually overcome sin. Uh, no need to have victory over it. No need to stop committing sin. You just have to keep them confessed and go on living life believing that God accepts you the way you are with no real change necessary. I am what I am. You'll just have to get used to it. Oh, by the way, thank you, God, for forgiving me. 
This is why the uh, Catholic Church came up with the idea to sell indulgences. Um, you know, they sold indulgences as a way to gain riches that would support whatever the Pope would want. And do you know what I mean when I say uh, indulgences, to sell indulgences? Let me share this with you from the book again, The Great Controversy, this time page 59. Notice this statement of explanation about selling indulgences. It says, the people were also taught... Now, this is back in, during the uh, Dark Ages. But let me tell you, they still do the same thing today. Don't think this is just in, you know, some warped thing they did back in the Dark Ages. It's still done today. The people were also taught that by the payment of money to the church they might free themselves from sin and also release the souls of their deceased friends who were confined in the tormenting flames. By such means did Rome fill her coffers and sustain the magnificence, luxury, and vice of the pretended representatives of him, as speaking Jesus, him, who had not where to lay his head. Jesus didn't have a place of his own. So you see... You know, the contrast there, right? So with this merit-based religion where you confess to a mere mortal man uh, um, called a priest, there's no thought to hate sin. I mean, all you merely have to do is, you know, to put it in today's lingo, you just fill out an application to their rewards program and earn coupons to have sins you plan on committing, you know, in the future, pre-confessed and forgiven. There's no need for you to hate sin at all. And there are millions of people going to Christless graves because of this false idea about sin. And I'll tell you, friends, that, that uh, uh, all the Catholic priests and Protestant ministers that teach this error or any variation of it, unless they repent and confess, they'll one day reap what they've sown. Now, getting back to confessing our faults to one another. If you've offended uh, someone, you're to acknowledge you're wrong to that person and to no other. And it's his or her duty as a Christian to forgive you. And if they don't, well, it becomes their problem. It's not yours anymore. I mean, it will bother you because it does bother me. I, when, when I've gone to people that I've wronged, I like for them to forgive me. But if they don't, well, I've done what I can, you know. And once that's done, then you can go to God and seek His forgiveness because the person you wronged is His property. They are His property by creation and redemption. And by doing wrong to Him or her, you've sinned against God. And so I'll get into more details about how to deal with sin and reconciliation you know, as individuals and as groups and public sins and stuff in a, in a, uh, a future study. Here's another thing uh, about the false teaching of auricular confession. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ, one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 7, notice what David said. He said, In my distress, I called upon the priests. No, he didn't say that, did he? <laughs> he didn't say, 
In my distress, I went to the church and went into the confessional. No, he didn't say that. I told my father. I told my father-in-law. I told my wife. No, he didn't say that either, did he? In my distress, I called upon the Lord, he says, and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Whose ears? The Lord's ears. Not the ears of your church leaders, not the ears of your priest. Why would we want to tell our sins, friends, to another sinful human being when we can go directly to God and cry into His ear? And God wants us to do that. One of the founding principles of the Protestant Reformation is the priesthood of all believers. In other words, we can come boldly to the throne of grace through the merits of Christ and not have to go through some other person. You know, the Catholic priest or your pastor or your church leaders or your spouse or your best friend are not your mediator, friends. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Your case is to be brought before him. And him alone is your high priest that's in the sanctuary above. The one, friends, who was tempted in all points such as we are yet without sin. He has promised that He will cleanse you from every stain of wrongdoing. He'll give you the power through uh, His Holy Spirit to go and sin no more. And to go and sin no more is the difference after confession between true and false religion, my friends. That's the difference. So if you're attending a and supporting a church that teaches you that you're in a saved condition even while you have ongoing sin in your life, I would advise you to find another church without delay because it's dangerous to your eternal life for you to go there. And let me warn you not to think that uh, God won't hold you personally accountable for attending and supporting a church like that because He will. You see, friends, it is the devil's goal to trick you into one of two errors. To fool you into thinking you can be saved by your own merits or that you can be saved in your sins. And sad to say, nearly all churches today teach one or the other of these two falsehoods. But if we would find true forgiveness uh, and acceptance and power to live the Christian life, we must humble our souls before God. And we must acknowledge that we have sinned. If we have not confessed our sins and, and actually um, hated them because of what they've done to Jesus, then maybe we've never truly sought for true forgiveness in the first place. And if we've not truly sought forgiveness in this way, maybe we've never truly found the peace of God. And that's one of the main reasons why uh, so many people feel continued guilt and, and, and have to ask over and over again for forgiveness for the same sins. And what I'm saying is that if you don't have peace with God after you confess your sins to Him, then you don't know the Lord maybe as you should know Him. Something is still not right within your heart. And you may be confessing your sins to God from a wrong motivation. Not out of love 
for Jesus. If you trust what it says in the Bible, if you trust what it says, for example, in Micah 7 and verse 19, that God will turn again, He will have compassion upon us, He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. If you trust that, then you can have the peace that Jesus came to give. And Jesus came to give us peace. What kind of peace did he come to give us? We could still be enemies, but we're just not fighting. That kind of peace? Or is it peace of heart? In John 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, he said. So once you find that kind of peace after confession of sin, no one has the right. Hear me clearly here now. Once you have confessed and you have that peace, no one has the right to go deep sea fishing and bring up the sins that God has cast there. Not even yourself. Think about that. I've met so many people who choose to live in the past of their confessed sins. It's like they're addicted to reliving them over and over and squalling in the feeling of guilt. And I'm telling you that you have to stop doing that. You have to believe God's Word. Believe what He says. When He says you are forgiven, believe Him. That's what faith is about. Leave your sins where God has put them and you, friends, will have real peace. So you need to choose to let them go and never remember them again. Psalms 103. Notice what the psalmist says here, verses 10 to 12. And speaking of God, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. And that means a, a, a reverent awe, that word fear. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? That's a long way, isn't it? It's infinity. If you travel east, you'll never meet west. If you travel west, you'll never meet east. Right? So friends, the, the east is so far from the west that your sins cannot be retrieved. But we make God a liar when we don't believe Him and we continue to fret over our past mistakes as if His word is an empty promise to us. Listen, friends, God loves you. God loves you. And He wants you to have peace knowing that your sins are forgiven for good. Not that you can't be eternally lost if you sin again. But friend, don't renege and take back what you've given to God to dispose of. Don't do that. What a terrible life to live, to continue to waller in, in that, not trusting God's word.
Let me go back to the book Steps to Christ, page 37. The only reason why we do not have remission of sins that are past is that we are not willing to humble our hearts and comply with the conditions of the word of truth. Explicit instruction is given concerning this matter. Confession of sin, whether public or private, should be heartfelt and freely expressed. It is not to be urged from the sinner. You know, we, we had some difficulties with this principle when our children would were very young and didn't quite grasp what it meant. But, you know, we make our kids go tell them that you're sorry. Well, they may not even be sorry. So what are you actually, you know, getting into the person, teaching that person to do? It's almost... It's almost like um, it's almost like the you know uh, you're training them up to 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 be uh, a part of that Church of Rome. <laughs> Just confess that you did them wrong. Doesn't matter if you mean it from your heart or not, and then God will forgive you because you did confess it. Oh, she says it's not to be urged from the sinner. It is not to be made in a flippant flippant and careless way or forced from those who have no realizing sense of the abhorrent character of sin, the confession that is the outpouring of the inmost soul finds its way to the God of infinite pity. The psalmist says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. So you have to mean it from your heart. See? I remember several years ago, almost 20 years, I think, when I came back to the Lord after being away for for a number of years, I was listening to a sermon by Pastor C.D. Brooks. Bless his soul. May he rest in peace. Uh, And he was speaking about repentance and confession. And uh, the reason I remember that, (laughs) I'll share with you the reason why I remember that. Um, it's because I didn't think I had anything at that time to, co- to confess because, you know, I, I had just recently come back to the Lord and, uh, and I believed I had confessed, you know, all that I knew to Him and, and I trusted His word that I'd been forgiven. And so I didn't believe that I was doing anything that I was, uh, you know, unaware of to violate any of the commandments of God. Uh, but after that sermon... You know, and, and I went to pray. I prayed that if there was anything in my life that needed to be confessed, or if if I was doing uh, anything ignorantly that I shouldn't be doing, or if I had wronged someone, or if there was anything at all registered against my name in the books of heaven, that the Holy Spirit would reveal it to me, so I could do what needed to be done to be right with God and to be right with my fellow man. And let me tell you, right away, a few things popped into my mind that I'd done in the past that I had forgotten all about. Things I had never taken care of in the way prescribed in the Bible. Things I didn't want anyone else to ever know about. But friends, God knew about them. And He let me know that things needed to be made right. Well, gee, after that prayer, I had a very heavy heart. Very heavy heart, because I didn't want to do what the Lord was asking me to do. 
And I struggled with it for days. And, and I struggled whether, you know, whether or not I was going to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And during that struggle, every time I tried to pray, these things would come back into my mind. I just, it got to where I couldn't pray. I was afraid to pray because this is what was brought to me. So finally I said, okay, Lord, I'll take care of it. I'll do it. And I set about doing what needed to be done. One of the sins had to do with a, a previous employer. So I wrote to the, you know, this uh, former employer and explained the whole thing to him and, and that I was a Christian and I had to, to get it off my conscience and make restitution, you know, because Jesus is coming soon. And, and I wanted to be ready for that great day of Christ's soon coming. And so I made it right as best as I could and asked him to forgive me. And, and he did. He was astonished that I would, <laughs> would do such a thing. And I hope that it made some kind of impress upon his heart. Uh, but uh, he did uh, forgive me. He accepted my efforts to make it right. And friends, I'll tell you, it is amazing the peace that comes into your soul when sins are forgiven and things are made right. Now my conscience was clear. And I could pray again as I used to without these thoughts interrupting my communion with God. And so I tell you this because there might be something you need to make right. You may not remember it, but God has it. He has it on record. And so there may be something that you need to make right, some sin that you need to confess, some particular person maybe that you've wronged, some situation that needs to be rectified, and I urge you to do it, no matter how difficult it may be, because I can tell you one thing for sure. The books of heaven are accurate, and God doesn't forget. If the Holy Spirit, friends, is convicting you to do something, please do it as quickly as possible so you can have unbroken communion with God and have the assurance of eternal life, because it only takes one unconfessed and unforsaken sin to bar your entrance to the uh, to the holy Jerusalem, the holy city. So if you confess all your sins except the hard one, <laughs> whatever it might be, it's still registered there against your name in the books of heaven, friends. So if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, you can be sure that it's something that needs to be dealt with. And I hope you'll do it. Now, just to be clear, in case uh, I missed it somewhere along the line and didn't make this clear, there are sins that should be confessed to God alone and no other person has to know about it. But if it involves another human being, you must make it right with that person if possible. If the person's passed away and there's no other way to make things right, you know, God thought about that. <laughs> He's made provision for you to give a trespass offering to his cause and be relieved of that burden. Let me share that with you. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 339. You cannot make every case right, for some whom you have injured have gone into their graves, and the account stands registered against you. In these cases, the best you can do is to bring a trespass offering to the altar of the Lord, and he will accept and pardon you. But... Where you can, you should make reparation to the wronged ones. 
And the Bible backs this up. You know, you read in Leviticus uh, 6 and 7 and, and chapter 27. You can go to Numbers chapter 5. I'll let you read that for yourself um, to see if any of this applies to you. Um, sometimes trespass, what is, what did you ask me? A trespass offering. That would be. Um, People would say, "Oh, that's an indulgence. I need to pay." No, no, no. That that would be, and the Holy Spirit would direct you what particular kind of offering to give to the church, whether and and to where it would go. It's not a tithe. It's an offering. It's a free will offering to God. Because the person that you, you know, need forgiveness from has passed away. And so. The whole purpose behind it is that God sees that in your heart you really want to reconcile that. So basically you're saying that getting on your knees, confessing that sin is not enough. You need to give Right, right. So, yeah, getting on your knees and praying for forgiveness for that is a part of confession. But you also need to give something to God. And like I said, you you read Leviticus, the principles found in Leviticus 6 and 7, 27, Numbers 5. Um, and let me say, if, if we don't want to quit sinning, we've never really understood Jesus on the cross. I'll say that. Um, and this has kind of been the theme, if you if you go back and, and watch all uh, and listen to these studies... Um, that's kind of the theme. Jesus is everything to us. And uh, we need to understand the cross. In fact, I started this whole series talking about the price of the cross. Um, you know, take a look at all the apostles. For example, look at all the apostles and their life after the cross. Do you think they finally understood Jesus on the cross? What that meant? And because they finally understood it, you can see in their life that they repented and confessed as they grew in stature in Christ through that sanctification process. Look at Paul as a good example. Let me, let me share with you Paul. Look at Paul. Paul repented and he confessed, right? He had a lot of confessions to make. Did you know that? He had to confess to the Jewish Christians. Can you imagine how humiliating, how terrible it would make you feel to have to go and tell people that I'm the one that was responsible for the death of your wife or your husband or your pastor or your deacon or your elder? Paul had to make those personal confessions and ask forgiveness from these people. Friends, there's no such thing as salvation without confession. Sins that are unconfessed are unforgiven, my friends, and time's running out on this earth. Probation's not going to last forever. Sins that are unconfessed are written in the books of heaven against our names. And if we don't confess them, we'll meet them at the end of the millennium, the end of the thousand years, because they'll still be written there. Do you want to know what the unpardonable sin is? People ask me this. 
You know what the unpardonable sin is? I'll tell you what it is. The unpardonable sin, are you listening? The unpardonable sin is any unconfessed sin that you have. It's as simple as that. That's what it is. If you do not confess all your sins, all of them, you will not be saved. If you hang on to just one unconfessed sin, you see, it grieves away the Holy Spirit. And eventually you'll be lost because of it, because the Holy Spirit, you, you've grieved Him away and He's not going to knock at the door of your heart and say, you need to repent of this. We need to be reconciled back together. But you're refusing to. That's what the unpardonable sin is. So, if you find those things difficult, it's just easier not to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. My wife said, so if you find that this process of reconciling difficult, then don't sin against anybody. Well, there's an answer. But now I have a question for you. We're talking about confession. So I'm, I'm, my question is, so why confess? Why confess? Doesn't God already know that we've sinned and what each one is? I mean, there is a record of my sins, right? Did God forget? <laughs> and he, he needs me to remind him so I can be forgiven? Oh, by the way, God, did you remember that I did this? No, I forgot about that. Well, yeah, I did. Can you forgive me? Is that the way it is? Well, let me share a few quotes with you, and then I'll share some reasons why we are to confess our sins. Here's uh, a statement out of Review and Herald from June 3rd, 1902. Our God is a jealous God. He will not be trifled with. Those who make straight paths for their feet must confess their sins. Then God's wisdom will overrule their mistakes for their own good and for the good of His people. He will give them the heavenly anointing and they will see that his hand is leading his people in the right way. They will see how dangerous was the path upon which they entered when they allowed Satan to control them. That's an interesting statement. There's some things there. Why do we confess? Do we want the heavenly anointing? Do we want God to bless us? Sure we do. Here, from the same article. No way has been provided by which men can pass lightly over their errors. The only safe way is to send sins beforehand to the judgment by coming to Christ with the humility and simplicity of a little child. Men must confess their sins, else they will be left in hardness of heart. Light rejected becomes to the rejecter darkness blacker than the darkness of midnight. Remarkable. Do we want to have soft hearts or hardened hearts? We need to confess our sins. From Signs of the Times, December 4, 1884. If we consciously cherish envy, malice, or any evil in our hearts, our worship is only mockery in the sight of God. We must confess and forsake our sins. We must search our hearts and see that everything is put away that grieves the dear Savior. We must be living examples of the transforming grace of God. But when we have done all on our part, we may come to Jesus in humble faith, and He will hear our prayers, for His word is pledged. 
Do we want our worship to be a mockery? Or do we want God to accept our worship? Manuscript Releases, Volume 9, page 252. Now this is a work of humility at this time, and we must confess our sins and get nearer to God so He can write pardon against our names. Do we want to be pardoned for our sins? Well, that's why we confess them. Here's the last one. 1888 Materials, page 575. My brethren, and let me tell you, there's hundreds and hundreds more. My brethren, if you expect your sins to be blotted out by the blood of Christ, you must confess them. You want your sins blotted out? And so, friends, I ask the question, why confess? And I get this question pretty often, really, when I first share the gospel with others. And I'll tell you, people have a right to know why God asks us to, to confess our sins to Him. So here are 12 reasons, uh, 12 reasons to confess our sins from what we've looked at in our study here at this time. Why, why, why do we need to confess our sins? Number one, so I can admit that the binding claims of God's moral law are just. If I didn't believe that God's law was just, I wouldn't even bother with it, would I? But because I do, I have to confess my sins. I've broken that law. Number two, so I can be shown mercy and compassion. God promises that to us. Number three, so I can send my sins beforehand to the judgment. So they can be dealt with then. Not that, you know, I'll be standing by myself then without an advocate before God. I can send them beforehand. Number four. So God can overrule my mistakes and I can have pardon written next to my name. In other words, I can be forgiven. I need to confess my sins so I can be forgiven. You know, it's just like any other court. You need to make sure that the judge knows that you're of a contrite heart and say, I am sorry I did this. I won't do it again. Only we say that to God, who is our judge. Number five, so I can gain the heavenly anointing. So I can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who will help me to stop sinning. And like my wife said, if you find it difficult to go and confess your sin to someone that you've wronged and try to reconcile, don't treat them wrong. Don't sin against them. But you got to have the Holy Spirit to, to do that. Number six, so my heart will not remain hardened and grieve Jesus any longer. And I could add, grieve away the Holy Spirit. Number seven, so my worship of God will not be a mockery. This is why I confess my sins. I don't want my worship of God when I come into His house to be a mockery to Him. I want Him to accept my worship. Number eight, so my prayers will be heard and I can be nearer to God. You know, if we don't, even the, the proverb says if we don't even listen to the law, God won't hear our prayers. <laughs> I want my prayers to be heard. Don't you want your prayers to be heard? Do you want to be nearer to God? I want to be nearer to Him. Number nine, 
I confess my sin so I can have spiritual and physical healing. This is what James 5 is talking about. This is why people who are sick and ill call for the elders of the church. The first thing that they have to do is repent of their sins. Confess any wrongdoing to God. And then the elders there can anoint them. Number 10. I confess so I can be reconciled to my brother, to man, and to God. So that we can have peace. Which I get is number 12 actually. Uh, number 11. So I can be cleansed of all iniquities and be made holy. And God will accept me. Number 12. So I can have the peace of God. This is why I confess my sins. I want that guilt removed. Because we can't eat, live with guilt that eats us away. Well, friends, I want to meet you in heaven. I want to be there myself. <laughs> I don't want any of my loved ones or those I've preached to over the years to have to search the record, you know, books of heaven during that thousand years to find out why I'm not there. You know, to see what sins had not been confessed and forsaken. And most of all, I don't want Jesus' sacrifice for me to have been in vain. What about you? I know by experience, friends, that confession is hard. It's really hard. And some are more difficult than others. But I believe what the wise man wrote when he said, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Let me tell you, God has been merciful to me. That's God's promise. And I hold him to it. <laughs> Let's pray together, friends, and claim that promise and for the courage to do what we can to make all things right. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for your love, for your mercy towards us, and for your forgiveness. Father, as a people... We know we have sins that we have tucked away. Sins that nobody knows about but us. Sins we think nobody knows about, but you know all things. And in order for us to be with you forever, we need to confess those sins so they can be put from us. We need to forsake them. So Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on each and every one of us. Change us. Give us repentance and conviction. Bring those sins up before us in our minds so that we can do what's right according to thy word. So we can have reconciliation with our, our fellow neighbors and be reconciled to thee. We thank you so much that you have such love and mercy towards us and that this is possible. Time is running out. We want to do all that we can, not only for ourselves in confessing our sins, but we want to share the truth with others so they can be right with you as well. Please help us to be the witnesses you wish us to be. We thank you so much for Jesus who died on the cross for us, who made it possible for us to have this second chance at eternal life. We praise his name and we praise yours today on this holy Sabbath day. And we thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer, for it is indeed asked in the name of Jesus, who is worthy. Amen.